It's been 10 years since a powerful earthquake devastated Haiti, killing more than 300,000 people and injuring more than a million and a half others. A decade later, Haitians continue to face mounting political problems and an uncertain future in the U.S. Well, this morning, we'll discuss what it's like to live in Haiti today and how the country is recovering from its worst ever natural disaster. And a good morning to all of you out there. Thank you so much for watching NBC6 Voices. I'm Jawan Strader. Well, 10 years ago today, a devastating earthquake ravaged Haiti. In an instant, powerful tremors reduced medical facilities, government buildings, and some 4,000 schools to rubble. Families were separated. Millions of people faced food shortages. Most multi-story buildings and homes collapsed. More than a million and a half people were displaced. That's about half of Miami's total population. Within hours of the crisis, help was on the way from around the world with a total of $13 billion in aid pledged. Well, I recently sat down with Miami Herald Haiti correspondent Jacqueline Charles right before she traveled to Haiti to cover today's anniversary. I began by asking what's changed in the last decade. Um, the tent cities that used to line the road to the airport, they're gone. The tent city that used to be in front of the presidential palace, which collapsed, that tent city is gone. But the tent cities are still there. In order for you to find them, though, you have to drive off the main roads and in the interior. And what you find is that there are people who have spent 10 years living underneath a tarp, 10 years behind zinc sheeting, 10 years with no running water, no electricity, no sanitation, all these things that we take for granted. What's the biggest need that you see that needs to be done in Haiti since the earthquake? I mean, there, there are a lot of needs. Yes. There are a lot of needs in Haiti, but since the earthquake that you've seen, every time you go back there and you see maybe a little bit of change or see maybe some of those 10 cities are no longer there, what's the biggest need that you see still? I think the biggest need is progress. I mean, because having a house and having no way to pay for amenities, it doesn't work. Having a house and not having money to pay for food, you're still going to be suffering. And in fact, the country has gone backwards in these last couple of years. Today, the inflation is over 20 percent. Um, everybody, anybody who's been following Haiti saw in the last year, three different periods last year, the country was completely locked down. There were fuel shortages. Um, Haitians need a reason to, to hope again. What, what do you see as the biggest challenge? So, you know, there's always been this debate about the money, right? And I've spent several months working on a number of stories. Hopefully we'll answer that question. A lot of people are not going to like the answer because, no, the money wasn't stolen. If anything, the money didn't arrive. I mean, donors after the earthquake basically pledged that we're going to give you $13 billion when the U.N. said the estimate for the damage was like $8 billion. So if I'm giving you $13 billion and you had $8 billion of damages, how much progress can I really get out of this? But, okay, $13 billion. But what we have learned is that in the first two years, about $6 billion was spent, a lot of it humanitarian, sanitation, water. Remember, there was a cholera outbreak. Uh, but in terms of the recovery and the billions of dollars that was promised, we're still waiting. So, you know, so we have this money that was promised and people are saying, but all of this money, but from the evidence that we're seeing, it doesn't look like that money even, even arrived, that the donors really kept that money. Because there was blame on the Red Cross. 
well, there was a lot of blame on the Red Cross and, and other organizations that, hey, you made a promise. You didn't keep that promise. So let's separate it out. So you had countries like the United States through U.S. agency, um, USAID, that says, we're going to give you a new hospital. And one of my stories deals with this. This hospital is going to cost $100 million, and 10 years after the promise, that hospital has not been built. So we can track their money. You know, in that sense, in terms of the projects that they said they were right. going to do, did you do it, did you deliver? But there were a lot of charities, like the Red Cross, that received money, and because of the way that they report, it's very difficult to track. A lot of this, with this 10th anniversary, has been an accounting of the money, but there's the money that governments promise, and we are not sure about whether they ever disperse those dollars, all of the dollars that they promise, and then there are the dollars for the charities, and it's up to those individual charities to tell us because we can't pull their tax returns. True. And, and how much of that, as far as plays a part in, in the allegations as far as corruption is concerned? Because some say, well, hey, they're stealing. They're stealing the money. Exactly. And, and uh, all the politicians there are stealing the money. The, all the allegations of politicians in Haiti being corrupt. What do you think about that? Well, so it goes all the way around. So one of the exclusive interviews that I got to do for this um, anniversary is with President Bill Clinton, former President Bill Clinton, who gets accused of stealing the money. Yes. And we talk about how this money came and who handled the money. And the commission he was in charge of, the Recovery Commission, never had anything to do with any money. The money went to another fund, and that fund only collected $400 million. Corruption is an issue, you know? But I, I, I think that to just blame it on corruption is a very simplified way. Um, one of the biggest problems in terms of priority and plans, and the whole idea after this earthquake was that we were going to change the way that we do business. But, you know, a year, nine months after the earthquake, there was still rubble in the streets of Port-au-Prince, enough rubble to fit five superdomes. That's a lot of rubble. And why? Because donors did not want to pay to remove the rubble. That was Jacqueline Charles, Haiti correspondent for the Miami Herald. She's a Pulitzer Prize finalist for her Haiti coverage as well. And with me now to discuss Haiti 10 years after the earthquake is Gypsy Metellus. She's the director of Sakla. Haitian Neighborhood Center. Welcome to the show this morning. Thank you. Good morning, Joanne. Good Thank morning you. to Thank you. you and I know you have a lot of opinions, especially <laughs> based upon what we just heard there. Absolutely. But I want to know from you, 10 years ago today, what were you? 10 years ago today, Joanne, I was stepping out of the Island Television Studios in North Miami. I just completed a recording of my own show and my phone began to, to, to ring. And so when I responded, my staff was calling to say there was an earthquake in Haiti. My response was, earthquake in Haiti? What are you talking about? Are you sure? You know, maybe it's another, oh, well, the news is saying it's Haiti. I'm saying, no, nah, that's not possible. And so as I drive back to the office, the news is on, and of course the stories are coming in, and it's, and it's true, and I'm realizing, oh my God, this was an earthquake. Yes, it was a seven point, Five seven point, yeah, 7.0, magnitude, yeah, magnitude earthquake. Uh, and you've realized, and you have family there, by the way. And my mother is in Haiti at that particular time. So I'm wondering, oh my goodness. And of course, we know that phone lines are gone. Uh, uh, there's no news coming in unless, except it's been, uh, what's been reported by yes. on the ground reporters. And so you can imagine that the next several hours felt like months until we began to finally pieced together the story of what happened. Wow. I will never forget the feelings of anguish, the disbelief, the shock, 
the, the, the pain, the, the, the fear, it, it, it was all, it was, it was one package. And I think every single Haitian American throughout this community, throughout this country was feeling exactly that. It, it was incredible. It was an incredible day. And then today, you know, this, 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 all of these feelings are rushing back at me yeah. right now. You know what? It seems like yesterday. It, it, it honestly doesn't seem like, to me anyway, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It seems like yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Santla, mm -hmm. Santla. And Santla was around then, and yes, it's still were. around, of course. Yes, and as you, as you say, a neighborhood resource center for all of you out mm -hmm. there that you don't have any idea what Santla is. Well, Santla is a neighborhood resource center that serves as a lifeline for the Haitian immigrant population of South Florida, mm -hmm. all pulling together the Haitian community, helping them with different resources out Absolutely. there. So you had to mobilize. We you had to get busy. Quickly. Quickly, we had to ascertain, okay, what are we going to do? What can we do immediately? Who do we mobilize to send a contingent of doctors, of nurses, and other volunteers who can be useful? Because this is not the time to go do disaster tourism. This is the yeah. time to have a skill so that you can be of help. And, of course, we saw a lot of people just wait until the needs were identified such that the, the, the proper skills or people with the proper skill set were able to, to, to land in Haiti, and so that was first. And then, of course, we had to look at what is going to happen to all of these people who are displaced, who lose their homes, who lose everything they've had and have the ability, either because they had a visa or they, they had uh, a green card or were American citizens, who were going to be displaced and have to move to Miami. So we needed to understand what system of care needed to be put in place in order to, to support, welcome, and provide them with that immediate release. Sure enough, we jumped into that. And thankfully, I think, you know, the entire community, the entire community stepped up and, and, and provided their support, whether in the form of money or resources, other donations, to really be of help. But let me also say that one of the nicest, if, if there's a good lesson in yes. an earthquake, right, mm -hmm. is that the Haitian people demonstrated to the world how they can come together and demonstrate solidarity Amen. for their neighbors. And they did that in spades. Before the international community could step in, before well-meaning individuals could step in, it was the Haitian, average, the average Haitian person helping their neighbor. Now I have to ask you, mm -hmm. as far as, and you heard from the interview there from Jacqueline Charles, but what you see today and what you've heard today, 10 years later mm -hmm. in Haiti, do you believe progress is being made enough? Oh, my goodness. In our book, there's, progress doesn't come fast enough, right? In the line of work we do, we want to see it done yesterday. And so clearly, progress has not been made at, a, at the pace that we had hoped for. We, you might say, you know, we don't want to look at a glass as half full or half empty. There's been some progress, but not fast enough, right? So progress in the form of, well, some, some of the government buildings have been rebuilt. Uh, the rubble has been removed. Uh, some people have been housed. Uh, so that's progress. But fundamentally, yes. what we had hoped would happen, we are, we're offended by what's not happened. We're offended by the, the, the sheer misery that we see in Haiti today when it didn't have to be this way. So we're offended, I think. And I say we, it's a collective we, representing uh, members of the Haitian diaspora, right? We had hoped that this would be an opportunity for renewal in Haiti. Yes. We had hoped that this would be an opportunity where we decided what kind of country we wanted to rebuild. We had hoped that this would be an opportunity for schools, for health centers, for homes, for roads, for opportunities for folks to really lift themselves up from poverty.
right? And so all those hopes have been dashed. And so for me, that's one of the biggest disappointments. Wow, well, hopefully we can continue to hold on to that hope. And I know that a lot of uh, Haitians and Haitian Americans mm -hmm. continue to hold on to that hope. Jesse Metellus, thank you so much. And thank you for what you do here in our community. We'll be right back with more on the crisis in Haiti. Stay with us. Welcome back to NBC Six Voices. I'm Jawan Strader. We are continuing our conversation about Haiti. I'm joined by Leone Hermantin, also with Santla, the Neighborhood Center. Uh, welcome to the show this morning, Leone. Well, there is so much to talk about, and I wish we could have gotten to all of it, uh, but you're here. So I want to talk to you about where we are going in Haiti, uh, what needs to be done, what do you see as the biggest need in Haiti? Wow, good morning to good you. Good morning and thank to you. you for I just hit you with all the questions right there. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is your opinion, but uh, I know that, I know that, you but know, you know, I, I, you know. I, it's clear to those of us, you know, I, I've traveled back and forth to Haiti. I've worked in Haiti for a long time, and I certainly see the needs um, that, that where the investments need to be placed for the country to move forward. And for all of us who work in Haiti, we know that education is, is, is one area which needs investment because no country gets out of underdevelopment and it's out of poverty That's without right. a strong educational work, educated workforce. So the investment in education, the investment in businesses, the investment in the small businesses, the entrepreneurs who are now making the economy run. If you look at employment in this country, there's a very small percentage that is formally employed. Most of the folks who are employed, who are earning a living, are doing so in the informal sector. So strengthening that sector, allowing the women, the, the small vendors, the business, the small businesswomen in the informal sector who are not eking out a living um, in, under a very difficult situation to empower them and fortify their ability to make a living and send their children to school would be important. And Leona, you testified in front of Congress. Yes. And, and what's the main message you wanted Congress to know about the state of Haiti? Uh, that the state of Haiti was in critical condition, that uh, things were not going very well, and that there was a need to allow the Haitian people to be heard, that Haitian people have been speaking for a year or more. They've been asking for the rule of law. They've been asking for less corruption. They've been asking for government accountability. And they have been asking for an improvement in their quality of life through investment in healthcare, education, and other critically needed services. And so my point was, you need to listen. They're not quiet, they're speaking, but no one is, is willing to hear them. What do you think about what is going on right now in Haiti? We saw what happened last July. Mm -hmm. Something that you said at a, at a speech that you gave in October, you were talking about not only men are out there in the streets protesting, you have women out there protesting. Something that is different than what you've seen it's in the past. It's an absolute paradigm shift in terms of who gets involved. Um, you know, again, traditionally we've seen mostly men take the lead, men be the, 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 the voices of protest and women sort of supporting in the background. But we have a shift of young people, very articulated, very clear, very strategic young people, including women, who are also coming out and say enough is enough. We, we've traveled, 
We've explored the world through social media. We know how other people are doing it and how they're succeeding. We have the intellectual capacity. We just need to be, be have the opportunity to do that. When and we travel to other places, we thrive. That's right. And and but but there's so many people that want to they want to they want to thrive at home. Exactly. They, wanna, they don't, they wanna wanna go and they don't want to go to Chile anymore. Go to go to go to the U.S. anymore. Now we're dealing with TPS issues and everything yes. else. So how are we going to get past this TPS yeah. issue? Well, I, I don't know. How, I mean, I think that the advocacy has to continue, and we're very thankful to those who do the advocacy. But again, you know, this is, this is a Band-Aid. You know, the solution needs to be that we don't need to be afraid to go back home anymore. We don't need to say that if people go back home, they will, they will die because, you know, they will die because there are no quality healthcare places, they will not be educated. We don't want to say that anymore. Our country, the history of this country has given a gift to the world, to all freedom loving people. And it's really time that we give back to our ancestors. You know, you know, we continue to thank them for the gift they've given, not just to us, but to the, to the world. Last question here. 10 years now since the earthquake, what will Haiti be 10 years from now? What do, you, what, what do you hope Haiti will be 10 years from now? Well, I hope that Haiti will tap into the energy that existed both before and a little bit after the earthquake. Because as Gypsy said, we had high hopes after the earthquake that the reconstruction would be Haiti's new chance to go in a different direction. And in spite of these setbacks, we have not lost the hopes because we know that not only are the people in Haiti receptive to change, but we also have a diaspora that is eager to walk in solidarity with the people of Haiti and help them accomplish the vision that they have of, of, of you know, being the great nation that we were created to be. Leone, thank you so much for your uh, your insight. We really appreciate you. And Thank hopefully you. 10 years from now, you and I can have another discussion. <laughs> we'll see. Thank you. We'll be right back. And we want to tell you about The Voices Podcast. You can listen to the show's episodes anytime and anywhere. Be sure to subscribe to Voices on the Apple Podcast app. And before we go out there, we want to share some wonderful news about our Voices family. It got a little bigger over the holidays. Voices producer Teresa Joseph and her husband Eddie are now parents of a beautiful daughter, baby Kari, arrived on December 30th, weighing eight pounds eight ounces and she and mom are doing just fine. Her onesie says it all right there. All too adorable. Congratulations to you guys. All right, well, that's it for our show today. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can also message us if you have a story idea on social media. But that's our time for now. Remember, before we go, education is the key to success. If you believe you will succeed. We'll see you next time. Have a great weekend.